1: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, the podcast where we speak with all kinds of great entrepreneurs and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond happy 2021. It's a new year. To kick things off, we're in conversation today with Paul Chambers, who has had an extraordinary career, an entrepreneur since fifth grade. He is the co-founder and CEO of the Subscription Trade Association. His extensive expertise in e-commerce and subscription in general dates back more than two decades, having been recognized by national and international publications and media outlets all over the globe. He is also the co-founder of Gentleman's Box, Core 3 Solutions, Mocha Boca, and Unity Management System. Interestingly enough, he's also a firefighter in Michigan in his spare time, and I thought I was busy. In any case, in this episode, we get Paul's take on his life as an entrepreneur and lessons learned from his father and grandfather. We also chat about each of his businesses, of course, his newest venture in the world of conferences, what the best subscription companies like Netflix, Disney and MeUndies are doing differently, and what lies ahead for digital commerce as we turn the page into 2021. And with that intro out of the way, let's get to the show. And we've had a lot of founders on this podcast that have been running businesses since you know they were in college, but none that have been running stuff since the fifth grade. So, what was that business that you had in grade five? So, in fifth
0: grade, I was selling sour balls in the, uh, you know, in school. And the principal called me down to the office and, you know, he said, Paul, you can't be selling candy at school, you know? It's like, okay. So, I, you know, went back, tried again and got called down a second time. And I, at that time, I I stopped selling candy after that because, I felt like I was going to get in more trouble and I was already, you know, I was only in fifth grade. So I was already super anxious about getting in trouble. I got into middle school and my grandfather took me to Sam's club this time. And we walked down the candy aisle and, uh, looked at airheads and tongue splashers were the two things. Tongue splashers were cool. Cause they came in a big paint can, uh, like, and they were gumballs again, gumballs, uh, that you would eat and they would paint your mouth, the color of the gumball. So like your mouth would be red or blue or whatever, after you're know, chewing on these gumballs and airheads, you know, like a taffy, like candy were really cool. And he taught me that you could sell them for two for a quarter or 15 cents a piece because we looked at, you know, the, the margin on it. And so it was at that time that I really learned the, the art of the upsell, the, the two for a quarter. He goes, look, you can sell them for 15 cents each. This is going to be a good margin for you. And he helped me do the math and taught me along the way. And he's like, but if you rubber band them together and tell people two for a quarter, people have a quarter on them a lot of times. And if it's a better value, they're likely to buy two of them. And I didn't really, I mean, I thought at the time it was really, really smart, but I didn't, I didn't appreciate it as much as I do today with how much we know about e-com and how much we've seen this and and what I've learned over the course of time. And and so you know, my grandfather was a big influence in my life, and that was was very pivotal and lighting that entrepreneurial fire inside of me.
1: Was he also an entrepreneur?
0: He ran a company called Canteen Food and Vending, which was part of the Compass Group today. Compass mm-hmm. is a very large food conglomerate. So he, as vice president of operations and, and running divisions, he had that entrepreneurial kind of drive and, and motivation to make the division successful. That's what he was really good at. So he knew how to build a good PL, he knew how to drive sales, he knew how to build good teams. So he's essentially, I mean, I consider him to, to be an entrepreneur in that sense. My my dad was though, and that's you know, the kind of you know, where other things continue to fall into play.
1: What did your dad do?
0: So my dad was a doctor, but he founded a, a hair restoration clinic. Uh, what eventually became a global hair restoration clinic. He, so he is a hair transplant surgeon. He came from Greece when he was 18 on a Fulbright, Fulbright scholarship. I've heard varying stories. I've heard with $100 in his pocket and I've heard with $10 in his pocket. But nonetheless, he didn't come over to this country with much. Washed dishes, worked his way through college and learned the art of, of hair transplant surgery and eventually built his own practice and built a, a very large business with 16 offices worldwide and so you really have to you know have that entrepreneurial spirit to do something like that became an author you know back in the heyday when it was on oprah and donahue wow. and um Geraldo, you know back when those were the big the big thing and um you know he he just he really had that entrepreneurial spirit to build build his business i didn't see my dad as much he was traveling a lot he wasn't around my grandfather was really my father figure the father figure in my life but i picked up on those things when i would see my dad and and then you know lastly i'll I'll just kind of round this out for you my stepdad when he came into my life came into my life when i was about 10 12 years old somewhere in that range you know and he would always give me some great life lessons along the way about surrounding yourself with people smarter than you and 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 teaching me more about the right products and, and just just so many other things from a leadership standpoint and life lessons that, you know, for good or for bad, you know, that
1: that I learned that
0: that helped shape me into who I am.
1: You go to Michigan State in 1999 and you, you get a BA in telecommunications. Um, and then ultimately, you know, just probably a year later, you, you start your first company called the Michigan Popcorn Company. So when you were coming out of Michigan State, did, did you know that you were going to be an entrepreneur then?
0: So well, actually... Fill in the gaps a little bit for you here because there's uh I really didn't want to go to college. And I didn't because I had actually started a website development company while I was in high school. Coming into high school, my grandfather, there was a, a moment where I remember going to his house one day, and I just have a very vivid memory of this. He handed me a newspaper article about all these young entrepreneurs that were starting up dial up internet service providers. And there's a picture of and I, I, I know I have this article somewhere saved. I need to find it because it is like impactful in my life. A picture of this, um, kid in high school sitting in his Jaguar in the high school parking lot that he was able to buy because he started this ISP up this dial up internet business. I was like, I want a I want a convertible Jaguar. That looks cool. I want to start a dial up internet service provider. And so I asked my grandfather if I, if he would loan me money to do that. And he said, maybe, you know, write up a business plan, write up a pro forma and, Let's take a look. So I did all this work. I called all these computer companies. I tried to figure out how to, like what equipment I needed, what advertising I needed to do. And I presented him with a business plan and a pro forma, a p and and he rejected it. Said, you know, keep sharpening your pencil. And I kept going at it, kept going at it. Finally, he agreed to loan me $10,000. So loan me $10,000. I went out and bought all this equipment and completely failed. So I started building websites from there. And this was in high school now at this point. And so I started building websites and met up with uh, another fellow high school friend through a mutual acquaintance and we started a, a website development company about our junior senior year in high school as i was heading into college i remember saying to my mom like i've got this business it's growing i don't really know if i want to go to college and she goes all of my children will have college education i started for my mom and i finished for myself i got there i realized the value of it and how important it was and. Uh, it was tough. My dad actually died while I, my first week at Michigan State, uh, He died in a plane crash and wow. I had to start, a, start running his estate. Oh, no kidding. Uh, took over his business at the time. Uh, had a hair
1: transplant business. Yep. Yeah.
0: Had to help sell off all the assets and and run that and definitely learned a ton of important life lessons along the way there, but continued to grow that business, that website development business through college uh, was able to I'll wrap his business up and put a, a pin in it, got my degree from Michigan State and, and continued to run my website development business uh, right after college. My grandmother had recently passed away and I wanted to find a way to run a business and help get my grandfather involved, help take his mind off of things happening in life and what things were going on and uh, give him the opportunity to be entrepreneurial with me. And, and so that's how I got into the popcorn store business in the end. Was he your partner? Uh, he was my investor. And you know, I I love retail. I love food businesses. I think they're a lot of fun, but they're a lot of work. Retail is only really closed, especially if you're in a mall, a Taubman mall, where they dictate the hours. You're only closed two days a year. And those are really only, if, if that, you only get, you don't really get those two days a year off. Manager calls in sick, you're waking up and going in and opening the store. Um, trying to figure out what's happening there. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a lot of work and uh, I loved them, but it was definitely challenging.
1: You know, one of the things, so you mentioned core three um, and it still exists. Like this is a company you founded way back in high, high school. school. Yeah. yeah. 23 and a half years later, um, the business still exists. And I guess you would describe it now as a hold co for other businesses that you are running and or an investor in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the way it's been structured now today. So core three, as it evolved, we, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the website hosting website development and it services sold the hosting division in around 2010 because we saw the writing on the wall too. hosting as a small hosting provider was starting to shift and change. Google was coming in getting into the space and mm-hmm. it wasn't the same anymore. So we sold that business as small as like a one X multiple on revenue at the time. That's usually what hosting companies were going for yeah, to one, one and a half revenue. And then also as time evolved in about 2012, I think 2013, I got out of the IT, managed IT business. I had a partner involved with it and we just, we had different directions we wanted to go with it. So he took the IT company and I took the website development company and uh, we went on different directions from there. So I had my website development company, which then as time went on and had other endeavors we started up, we renamed the website development to be Element 5 Digital and then core three state is a holdings company for all the other little companies that we had spin up and start up in there.
1: Mm-hmm. How many companies are you a co-founder of at this point? It's a really good question. I should probably
0: know the exact answer to, but, um, cause you know, just in the last couple of weeks I started a little business with my daughters and, it, you know, so I guess you could count that one in there too, but the main, the main businesses, the main areas of focus are SUBTA, the Subscription Trade Association and Element 5 Digital. Uh, I I've helped Charlie Wolberg with Mocha Boca, uh, Greg Marino, my partner in Unity Management Systems and Rocket Effect. And a lot of times those are where I'm more uh, an investment advisor and play a support role in the development. Uh, previously co-founded Gentleman's Box with John and Chris. And then, uh, of course, with my daughters and, and sons, the Ample Slimes business, which is fun because we're doing it all. We're donating the proceeds to charity, and it's just a chance for me to to help share that entrepreneurial spirit with my kids as well.
1: Do you have a specific criteria for how many businesses at any given time you get involved in and or invest in? And then the second part of the question is, how do you decide how much time in any given week? To invest in these businesses,
0: that's a, it's a really good question that I believe is a constant evolution. Actually, gentlemen's box is kind of what what led down the path here to where we're at today as far as how we get involved in businesses and what we do uh, as core three and and I'm and in, um Element Five being a digital marketing website development company, it provides services that all these new businesses need. And when Chris and John came to me the idea with Gentlemen's Box. I said, I love it because they wanted me to build the website. Chris was very close with me we had other like small little endeavors we were trying together and I uh, he said, Hey, my, my cousin, John has this idea. Let me bring it into you and see if you can do the website for it. It's like, Oh cool. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's talk about it. And I loved the idea. I loved what they're doing. I said, you know, I'd love to charge you for this, but what if, would you, would you be open to like an equity? And set instead of my fees, and that's how I I became a partner in Gentlemen's Box. We traded out our website development services. And look, I get proposals like for that kind of stuff all the time. Actually, one that I I always shared that I I missed on at an opportunity was Benzinga. Uh, Jason Raznick, a brilliant guy, tried hounding me down to to help him with Benzinga and what he was doing. And I was like, I don't know, you know, I don't really see it. I don't see the opportunity. I mean, Benzinga has gone on to be invested by Google and. You can't win them all, but um, so you know you get these pitches all the time, and you got to decide what to get involved in and what not to get involved in. And so, uh, gentlemen's box, I decided, like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And so, we built the website and and helped provide marketing support and took a stake in the company and
1: and and started building it out from there. Let me just provide a high level overview for those that are are not familiar. So, so gentlemen's box is a subscription box for men. It provides wardrobe accessories, things like socks, ties, cufflinks, etc. every month. And these boxes are new and novel. And I mean, it's an awesome, it's an awesome offering and an awesome story. So the origin of this is 2014, right? And this is built on this assumption that there were plenty of guys who were style conscious, but didn't like to shop. Was that the assumption that you found most attractive about this business? Like what got you excited?
0: That was so right at 2014, that's where Birch Box was starting to take off. There was there were so many subscription boxes. That was like the beginning and kind of height of the subscription box craze. Yeah, John, John had this idea that you know he's working for another company and he didn't have time to get out and shop and wanted to be sent a box every month that he would get that would style him. It'd give him ties, socks, and a pocket square that would match, uh, accessories like a lapel pin or a a tie bar and just plug and play. And we evolved the business over time. We built a premium box into it. We built you know, a, a large e com component to it. And so we found it wasn't just about the monthly box. And, and that's how subscription has continued to evolve. It's just not about sending one thing to people. It's about figuring out what works for people and what works for your audience.
1: One of the most interesting stories was that an NHL player found you guys think it was on Twitter, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I, it's funny how, you know,
0: these, these memories resurface as you talk about them. I sitting at, uh, it was like Thanksgiving the night, the biggest bar night of the year, night before Thanksgiving and sitting at a, a bar in Kalamazoo and sitting there with my wife and Chris George calls me. He's like, bro, site's blowing up. Like, look at the traffic right now. Look at the traffic. It's like, what? And, uh, he, and this, uh, by the way, Thanksgiving, United States. Uh, and so, um, I said, uh, I was like, what is, where's all this coming from? He goes, I don't know, but like a lot of it's from Canada. Like, can we, can we sell to Canada? I was like, I don't know. I don't know if we can sell to Canada <laughs> cause we just built a website out. We kind of missed that initial wave, but we eventually got it on and, and started expanding internationally. And that's when it triggered like, Hey, maybe we can, if we can sell to Canada with adding shipping fees, maybe we can sell to these other countries. And and that's how we grew a gentleman's box to be an international brand so quickly after we realized like there were opportunities, but it was crazy, you know, just, you see those little like catalyst moments we have no idea how he got it. I, I think it was given to him as a gift or if you know, something landed out there and that's where we started to learn about influencer marketing and and how we can spread the word faster. I mean, our first hundred boxes were sold to friends and family. And from there it like kind of continued to
1: spread, but I think just for people that might be interested in knowing who that player was, it was Ryan Kessler, yeah, who at the time <laughs> uh, played for the Vancouver Canucks on the West Coast. In any event, you talk about um, you know, the expansion of the brand internationally. Um, another important milestone, at least along these lines, was this partnership that you landed with GQ. Yeah, When did that happen and how did that come together? So it
0: it actually came pretty early on as, as Chris and John and I were brainstorming of what the box would be and what it would look like. And a lot of John and Chris's early ideas were to ship a GQ inside the box. We were too small really to get GQ's attention and to uh, get their, you know, have them partner with us on this. And so we we hustled it out and we found the local sales reps for GQ magazine here in the Detroit market, found them on LinkedIn, reached out to them and said, Hey, we're building this concept out. We think it would really work. We'd love you to be part of it. They're like, Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, let's pass you along. And they actually threw us kind of like hustling through LinkedIn in the local market here, they eventually handed us up to New York, which was where Condi NASA was headquartered. And um, we got a meeting with them and got an opportunity to talk to them and they said, well, it would really only make sense if you were at like a thousand subscribers. So we built out a pre-sale list and told them, you know, eventually told them like, yeah, hey, we've got a thousand <laughs> subscribers uh, and, and had to fudge the numbers a little bit to make sure. it work in our favor. But eventually I uh, got them to listen to us and agree to sell us the GQ magazines for uh, mm-hmm. a very, very fair cost to allow us to put them in the um, to put them in the box every month. And we tried expanding our partnership. We tried positioning gentlemen's box as an acquisition target for them, but it just, it wasn't in the, in the cards at the time, but you know, it was, it was a good part. It was a winning, a good partnership because we were able to deli- deliver value to our subscribers and they were able to gain subscribers for their magazine. I mean, over the course of time, we delivered them probably, you know, hundreds of thousands of subscribers. And so this is a win for everybody. And that's how good partnerships should be it should be advantageous to both people you
1: know i think gentlemen's box is you know on the surface this is an offering for men but you got to assume that female shoppers were a big segment for you guys buying this for uh, their boyfriend their husband uh gifting it to their boss perhaps um how how many of your shoppers were female
0: uh a good percentage it was in the 20 to 20 to 30% range and more so around holidays special occasions you know, the the holiday season, Valentine's Day, Father's Day, graduations. We saw a lot of graduation gifts there, kids from college going off into the workforce. And and so that's where we saw that audience. We often say if we had to do it all over again, we'd probably start a subscription box for women because it just is a little bit easier market to audience to from that standpoint. Not that that not that men are a bad target audience. They just don't buy as much. Women do have more physical commerce subscriptions. They do subscribe more, they do spend more. And so that was us selfishly saying like, man, we, we think we could probably have made a bigger business this way, but we're not happy with what we did and, and we still support that target demo, but definitely there's something to be said for uh, women e-commerce shoppers and, and what they they spend online.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned Birchbox beforehand as being you know, one of those trailblazers when you guys first started. But there's obvious similarities with Gentleman's Box and Dollar Shave Club, mainly with the yeah. business model, the target market. Were you watching what Dubin and company were doing? Were they an inspiration for you guys?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And early on, and there's similarities, but there's some key differences in there. I think we made a critical mistake in not looking at a replenishment opportunity within Gentleman's Box. That's where Dollar Shave Club was successful is in the replenishment category. If you shave your face, you know, on a a weekly, monthly, daily basis, you need more razors. They're going to deplete. You're going to always need more. And he did a really good job of tapping into a market because I like I remember that. I remember in college going to buy razors and thinking like, oh, my God, these are so expensive. But Michael Dubin's the guy that stepped up and said like, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to do something about this and then created a great viral video. And and that was the end of that, you know? And so we were definitely watching that story, definitely watching what was happening with them. When you look at subscription today, uh, we just had a talk uh, led by bold commerce at our conference on this. There's something that starting to referred to as full stack subscription where you offer discovery and delight replenishment and access. Those are really the three key components to a a great uh, physical commerce subscription, or even like any subscription, those three aspects of subscription commerce. If you can do all three of those, you have that kind of golden goose. You have that full stack subscription there. And that's something that we often try to get to with gentlemen's box. We just didn't quite get that direction where if we could have added that replenishment component on top of our discovery and delight, and then had some sort of unique, exclusive gentlemen's box experience that you'd have access to for whatever it may be, it, it you know it certainly could have been uh, even more successful. Uh, we sold it to a cigar club a couple months ago, and they've done a great job of continuing to evolve that brand and continue to grow it.
1: This cigar company in Alabama that acquired your business, how did you know this was the right acquirer, and, and how did you figure that this was the right time to sell? So
0: I'm going to put... I'm gonna take a step back from that, and I, I promise I'll come back to it.
1: In 2015,
0: we were in San Fran doing those VC meetings, and Chris and John at the time said, uh, "Hey, we're gonna to go to this conference, and you know, it's like $2,500 to exhibit and attend, and we we're gonna bring gentlemen's box and meet other, you know, e-com companies and stuff like that." And I said, "Oh, is it are there subscription companies there?" and they're like, yeah, there will probably be some I go guys, we should find a subscription company, a subscription conference to go to and did some intense Googling and found that that didn't exist. And we had this idea at that time, you know, because we're crazy, stupid entrepreneurs are like, hey, we should we should actually start a subscription
1: box conference. This is sort of the peak of GB, right? You guys are still scaling at this point.
0: Yeah, we're growing and. And so we're trying to launch this conference and we didn't give ourselves much runway. We came up with this idea in like May, finally settled on moving forward with it in June and decided to hold it in September in Detroit. We knew we wanted to hold it close to home. So we picked Detroit, downtown Detroit, because we were in Royal Oak at the time, just north of Detroit. We knew we needed to do it soon and act fast because we didn't want anybody else to kind of take the idea and run with it. And we also knew that we wanted to do it when the weather was still like somewhat decent. So our very last option was September 28th I think it was. I think it was like my birthday at the time and downtown Detroit and so we had to run hard and fast at that. And it was so this was in 2016 actually, sorry. Uh we keep, we started talking about like late 2015 and going into 2016 and we just hustled it out. And and you'd mentioned as we were talking earlier that you had actually come to that first conference. Well,
1: we we
0: kind of got kickstarted there. Uh-huh. by talking with Liz Cadman of My Subscription Addiction.
1: Oh, that's right. And, yeah. Which is one of the biggest review sites uh, and or yep. affiliate sites for sub boxes.
0: Yep. And we were working with Liz at the time uh, to, with Gentleman's Box and getting it on the site. And we had a great relationship with them. And we said to Liz, hey, we're, we're thinking about starting this conference. Would you, would you want to help like, be a name associated with the conference? So it had credibility. Uh, help us find some speakers and, um, help us, you know, get the word out there to all these boxes that submit to you for reviews. And she was like, absolutely. I'd love to get involved and help you guys out. And we figured out an arrangement where we'd, um, give her some sort of small referral commission. I think it was at the time for for helping us out. And she actually connected us up with Katya Beecham CEO, co-founder of Birchbox and Michael Brookham, co-founder and co-CEO of FabFitFun. To be on our first speaking roster, which was amazing. But I tell you what, though, like leading up to that, the roller coaster of emotion and ups and downs we had with it was unreal. Because, you know, here one day where we had locked in another like big name speaker and then they backed out on us and we're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. We're never going to be able to do this. That very same day, we get an email from Michael's team and Katya's team saying, like, hey, yeah, we can help out and we're happy to be involved. And it was, the launch of that and building that and what eventually became the subscription trade association and the success we've had there that eventually led us to decide to sell gentlemen's box
1: you know it's funny i remember this conference so well and you know one of my observations just from that whole experience was that it was clear that this was a first version of something <laughs> like yeah. it was a little bit disorganized it was a little bit raw but at the same time you had these unbelievable keynote speakers you had tremendous insight from people that were deep in the space and also you had this sort of like um a- around the floor you had these suppliers or vendors that were adding value uh, at a time where things were a lot choppier right things were a lot more fragmented people didn't you know understand right. sort of back end versus front end you know what they needed in terms of logistics for pick pack and ship or shipping speed for rebuilding. you know rebuilding has come a long way let's let's yeah. admit you mentioned bolt commerce but Rebilling was a whole challenge, you know, chargebacks, people were unfamiliar or didn't have experience with chargebacks. And so, um, there was a lot of learning there and yeah, it was just, it was interesting. I got to say I had a lot of fun and since then, obviously (laughs) things have, have improved a lot and you guys are where you are today. So congratulations.
0: Thanks. And, and, and it's so funny because you know, the things that you note about that, like, yeah, it was raw. I mean, I remember getting it set up in the morning and looking at the stage, like something doesn't look right. Something doesn't look right. And realizing like, there's no backdrop on the stage itself. It was still like the actual theater. So we're like, we threw up some pipe and drape last minute. And then we had like two or three speakers go. And I'm like, they look really dark on camera. So we did some uplighting on that, like by about the third speaker, the uplighting appeared. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I'd never run an event before. So we're just figuring these things out, but we knew we wanted to bring the community together. And I remember that night, uh, the night of the first day, Mike, we're hanging out with Michael Brookham and, He's like, guys, like I love gentlemen's box. I love what you're doing, but this is going to be bigger. What you guys are doing here is going to blow up. It's going to be bigger than anything else. And we realized it too. And what was fun, what was really cool for us to see is how much, how supportive the community was of everybody in the room. You had people who were competing with each other, talking about marketing ideas together and how they were gaining new customers and gaining new subscribers. And everybody's so supportive of, of, each other. And that's what we've always, we've always led with the truest intentions of what we, what we're building here with subject and that's to help that community. And that's why we feel like the rest has really fallen into place for us and, and helped us uh, grow this. The industry has certainly come a long way. You know, now our, our last time we were able to do an in-person event was, uh, 2019 in new Orleans, we had over a thousand attendees, over a hundred exhibitors. You know, forty thousand square feet of Expo Hall. It's just wild to see what we've grown from from our original event, which was you know a dozen exhibitors and two hundred attendees. It's been it's been a lot of fun, and we're so so fortunate to be able to be you know help be curators of the community.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, does it make sense to talk about this Alabama-based acquisition? How did it come together? Pretty
0: uh, serendipitous. I was actually putting together uh, the conference schedule for our recur conference, which was in the fall of 2019 in Chicago. And the original design behind our events was, Sub Summit was gonna say subscription box focused, and then we'd have a sister conference called Recur in the fall that would focus on all subscription. Because we realized so much was evolving in the space, you had you know, Peloton launching and so much happening in streaming that we really should be representing the whole subscription space because it touches in so many different ways. And so we've all subbed to, and rolled out that conference. And since then we've we've kind of rolled things back to be all under the subsummit brand now. And conferences in the fall are especially tough from an e-comm standpoint because October too much in the holidays, yada yada. So mm-hmm. but at the time we were running that conference and I was building a panel out on vices. So if you, you know, companies that have these vices like marijuana or cigars or You know, smoking of any kind, they can't advertise on Facebook, and they need to find other unique ways to gain subscribers and gain customers. And so, I wanted a panel to talk about that because I thought that could be helpful for anybody. So, I had Harrison Baum uh, from Daily High Club come out and speak on it. And I reached out to Jeff uh, Zeter from Cigar Club through LinkedIn. I said, sent the LinkedIn message, said, "Hey, I'm putting this panel together. I'd love for you to be on it. Uh, Would you be interested in in joining?" And he said, "Absolutely." So, took care of his you know travel expenses and hotel, had him out to the event. And it was while he was there that he got to talking with John Haji, one of my co-founders gentlemen's box and subta. And John said, Hey, it just kind of came up in the conversation. We're looking to sell gentlemen's box so we can focus on subta. We want to find a happy home for it. And Jeff said, yeah, I might be interested actually. And we continued the conversation into this year and finally about a year later executed that transaction.
1: So let's jump into more on subta. You know, historically, Th- there have been you know three main subscription models, right uh, that people can bucket companies into. So you've got and you mentioned them before. So you've got the replenishment model, which you know is uh, Dollar Shave Club could be an example of that. Amazon subscribe and save another example of that. Um, and then there's the surprise and delight or curation bucket. And then of course like a, a much bigger bucket which is access. Uh, streaming services would fall under this uh, umbrella. So would would media and a lot of other sectors and industries. But um, the art of crafting a full stack subscription offering, which you highlighted, could be groundbreaking for a company. Who who comes to mind in terms of a company that has already done this or is in the process of doing this?
0: That's a good question. I think there's a lot of companies that are are going in that direction and are offering those types of things and i think the biggest thing is starting with the community it's funny uh you know we've i tell this story quite a bit we we've had um times where i remember very distinctly at our recur conference a very a pretty large streaming company came up to us and said you know it's cool at the last conference we learned something from me that we went and applied to our business and had a big impact on us and part of that was the way MeUndies looks at their customers. And they look at them more as members and not as subscribers. MeUndies has done a great job of offering more than just that underwear subscription. And, you know, underwear is some of the, one of those things where I think you can call, fall in both those categories. One, you can always use more underwear, I'm sure. Uh, but two, it's it, there's fun and unique. So they're discovery and delight as well. But they offer more by looking at their customers as members and including them in that that membership category of saying, look, you're a member here, so pause this, you know, keep this going, turn this on and off whenever you want. And by the way, as being a member, here's more we're going to do for you uh, and more you're going to get. Wink is another great company that's doing that from a wine standpoint and what they're growing and offering, you know, exclusive wine tastings and exclusive wines to their members. You're, you're, you can get your monthly subscription of you know we're going to surprise you with it or you can choose to get a certain wines on a certain frequency so we're seeing more and more companies uh start to do this and start to roll this out it's an important way to look at building out subscription because of the value it has on building your relationship with the subscribers if you can treat your subscribers like they're not just another number and they're they're part of you're delivering value to them and you want to build a long-term relationship not just capture the one-off transaction they'll they'll see that and they'll they'll stay loyal subscribers and customers and members for much longer my big dream my big goal is to get comcast to fix their broken process and that's how little they care about their customers like the amount of anger i have in my life towards comcast like even just talking about it right now my blood pressure is starting to go up like it's just it's And so my big dream is to get Comcast to realize they need to fix that. What I want is Comcast to attend my conference and be like, wow, we actually could do this better and to change that. And do you understand like how many more people in this world will be happier because of that small goal that I've accomplished? So that, that, you know, so that, that to me is uh, a lot of fun and, and aspirational, but going back to your original, original question is, you know, companies like Comcast are starting to see the value in, in offering more as far as subscription goes too. So it's it's interesting and, and it's fun to watch the subscription space evolve.
1: Speaking of where things are heading, there's been huge growth in e-commerce this year. Things have accelerated at such a rapid pace with the pandemic. There's so much movement. What do you see happening in 2021?
0: So I definitely see... Uh, you see a lot more of that. I mean, we had DoorDash, which has a a subscription component to an IPO, uh, recently here. Um, you know, Airbnb had a a big IPO as well. And with barks announcement and barks is through a blank check company. And so it's an interesting approach and definitely good for them. Way a good way for them to raise capital. get out into the public market and continue to grow. We see continued evolution of subscription happening. We see more companies that are looking at it as a way to add to their business model. We talked about this this past year in some of our conferences, Volvo, adding a car subscription, you have furnish, adding a furniture, you know, which is a furniture subscription. They've been growing for a while. A lot of these rental car companies as they saw downturns from COVID had to find other revenue streams. So they started car subscriptions, uh, for consumers and companies that are realizing that subscription, isn't just an add on something you throw out there and see what happens. It can be an integral part of your business. Uh, On Running recently launched a shoe subscription called Cyclone that they call it the shoe you will never own. And for $29 a month, you'll, you can order this running shoe and when it wears out, you let them know and they'll send you another one. And so now they have built this subscription model of where I'm not worried about having to buy another pair of shoes or, you know, needing to go to the store. I just tell them when I feel like when my shoes worn out based on how much I run or how much it worn it, it looks, and they're gonna ship me another one. And so they've created this more engaging relationship with their consumers. So we see that. And this is why as we look at our our next year's conference and the theme for it really around the shape of the industry, the 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 shape of of where things are going, uh, will continue to evolve. It's it's gonna be so much more than just that subscription and just capturing subscription dollars. It's it's building those relationships with people.
1: Mm-hmm. And you've got a stat to back this all up. Twenty-seven percent of consumers worldwide indicate that they will increase their total number of subscriptions next year.
0: Yeah, and and I think there's some parts of that that are very conscious growth, and then some of it are subconscious. We don't realize like how much we're you know, we're adding Disney Plus, or we're subscribing to HBO Max, and you know because we see the value in it, we may we may add that shoe subscription to our our lineup of things that were brands that we're engaging with and forming relationships with on a monthly basis or quarterly basis. So yeah, it's, it definitely is a growing trend. That's for
1: sure. Speaking of Disney plus, um, you gave them an award this year at Subtuff for the best streaming service and they won that over Netflix, Apple TV and Peloton. Yeah. What do you see Disney plus doing that some of these other big names are missing? Um,
0: you know, Disney plus put some initial, um, projections together of where they saw their business growing, uh, to, and, and this is reported quite often, actually, I think they put their initial projections for 2024 to be to like the 30 to 60 million subscriber range. And they are trending to be in the 200 to 300 million range. And what's fascinating is how much growth they've seen there, but they've done a great job of being Disney about everything. You know, focusing on the content, focusing on producing good, good shows, good episodes, focusing on the experience. I think there's still some things, you know, to be to be desired in there, of course, with any of them, we did a review of HBO Max recently on our one of our shows and found that it was way too easy to cancel, remarkably. But, you know, they they've just done a good job of of producing content and, and rolling it out appropriately, you know, not you know, caring about the experience and caring about the way the way that it's been and not just simply putting another subscription out there and being like, hey, you know, here's all of our movies if you want access to them. They cared about the content that's put out there and they cared about every aspect of it. And so that's why you know, they're deserving of that award because I think they've done a great job of, of building it out properly.
1: Mm-hmm. And some of these others, best media subscription went to the New York Times and they beat out Washington Post. Business Insider in the Financial Times. And then on the product side of things, one of the companies you've already mentioned, Me Undies, won for best customer experience mm-hmm. over uh, Gentleman's Box, ironically, and <laughs> uh, Sparkle, Hustle, Grow, and others. And then FitFab, excuse me, FabFitFun, who won for best marketing over Peloton, Lunarly, and BattleBox. Yeah, and we
0: we do, and um, the, so the opinion there that I'm sharing is is mine, and we do have an independent panel of judges that come in and, and weigh in from various different aspects of the industry, uh, from suppliers and, and those that are involved in the space, and outsiders as well, to help make sure it's an unbiased approach to the way things are looked at. So, you know, as I'm sharing my thoughts on Disney Plus with you, those are definitely my thoughts, and as Subto, we like to remain, you know, offer many different viewpoints in the industry, but... I don't disagree with any of those winners that were chosen there because of, of what they're doing well in the space. You know, like MeUndies, the way they interact with their customers, the way they care about their customers or um, you know, FabFitFun and their unique approaches to marketing. It's not just, uh, let's throw some TV ads out there and get controversial or whatever it may be. They're they're engaging with uh, their loyal fans, they're doing more. And so I think all those companies that won keyboards this year were, were very deserving in the categories they were in.
1: Paul, this has been a pleasure, man. Thanks so much for sharing uh, all of this uh, and coming on the show. Subta.com for more on the subscription trade association. Where else can listeners connect with you?
0: Uh, So I'm always on Twitter at Paul Chambers, uh, as well as on LinkedIn. Uh, It's a great spot to find me. And my email address is paul at subta.com. So certainly always welcome to to email me there. And, you know, we had a lot to unpack here, Adam. I think you did a fantastic <laughs> job at it. It's, it's always a lot of fun talking to you and, and I truly appreciate it.
1: That's it, guys, for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Scriberbase. Want to build recurring revenue for your business? Visit Scriberbase.com for more info. If you enjoy the show, download, share or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us at glow.fm slash e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on.
0: Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter.
1: Electric ass.